Hi folks and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. This is your host Mark Anthony Rossi, poet, playwright, host of this show, a literary show. We have episode here 136 and this one we're going to be calling The Morality of Money and the Arts. Now I'm entitling this way mainly because I, I, I really enjoy the fact that oftentimes in, in the arts there isn't a whole lot of uh, talk about morality but I also like the, the fun part about the money because I get a lot of questions about this. In fact, in my next mailbag, we actually have a number of questions, which I'm probably going to answer in this show, but during that show, I'll answer them again anyway. It's not a problem. Plus, what we do in Aerial Chart, my literary journal, is we often advertise out there to let people know it exists. You know, I, I still get and, and ultimately depend on a lot of word of mouth and people joining me because they see other people in their bios or other people tell them about it. And so I get that from all around the world, literally. I mean, it's not a given month. I don't have anywhere between 20 and 35 different countries submitting things to me in, you know, in their best English. You know, sometimes that doesn't work out. Other times it does. But we also send advertisements out. I don't mind doing that. They're free. They're interesting. And you get a lot of people that, these days now that, they like to mark things because they think they're being, uh, you know, sarcastic or snarky or maybe that they're just thinking clever. So they'll put something like, hey, folks, this is not a paying market. Hey, guess what? AeroChart is not a paying market. We went over that recently about what it does offer. And with a lot of markets that don't pay what they still offer, you know, to the writer and, and to the artist. There's still a, a lot of worth to what's being done and a lot of merit to for someone being published. But nevertheless, I thought I'd have a more fuller conversation about money in the arts because I don't think a lot of people really understand that they have a lot of questions they don't really get it and oftentimes uh, they're not really realistic about what they what they should expect or what they even demands I literally had a, a writer in an aerial chart say the next time they had submitted something to me uh, months later uh, you know I should get paid for this now because that last one it, it landed in your top 10 list and, and it did really well and a lot of people even bought my book yeah, you, you're welcome for all that publicity. Uh, and now I'm, somehow I'm supposed to pay you now. That's that's real, really wonderful. But nonetheless, after I told them what I felt about that, uh, I declined them because to me that's not gratitude. That's not even that's not even intelligence about the way things actually work in the world or in the arts. So I'm gonna explain all that to you so you all have a better understanding of that. Okay? Like how I said, y'all, I think I've been living down here in the south too long because I'm I'm speaking like folk folk from the south, but. That's okay. I, I think it's kind of cool, and, and I enjoy being uh, being down here at the, at the moment. Now, unlike a lot of artists, and, and I'm not going to criticize people across the board, but I am going to point out a few things. Artists oftentimes are not really the best people to, to rely on about things about business or even things about politics because artists, and, and I'm no different, uh, we can be very emotional rather than being intellectual about things. And, and a lot of times that's the basis of people's art or even their inspiration is what they feel and, and what they think they need to bring out to the world because maybe they feel that the world can be very unfeeling. And yes, it can be. Art definitely helps fill some of that gap in that. So I got no, uh, I got no debate there and I got no question about that. But I am always amazed on how few uh, just fail to understand things out there and how they actually work okay especially how as it relates to arts 
All right, so I'm one of the few people you're going to find that's actually been writing actively their entire lives and, and actually have gotten books published and actually run uh, my own small publishing company, uh, my artistic journal, and, and this show right here, okay? I do all three of those things, and I still have a full-time job. You, you know why? Because I'm somebody that's already served in uh, his country. I already served myself in, in, in the Air Force in combat. I, I've served in business as a bank manager, and, and I've served in the government before. So I've, I've served in three big big parts of, of a lot of people's lives. So I have a real good understanding about how politics works with the arts and especially how money works with the arts and business. A lot of folks don't have that grounding. So I'm going to share some of that with you so you have a better understanding. I don't really think that this is all that controversial. I honestly don't think I'm going to be running to some some China shop as a, as a crazy bull or something, you know. But uh, some of the questions I've gotten, and, and, and even some of the snarkiness, it, it, you have to wonder where these people are coming from. They obviously don't know a whole lot about how money works in the arts. So we'll talk about that. I'm going to break the show down into three parts. Okay, there's the good part of money. Okay, then there's the non-art part. There's parts of money that goes in the arts that's more peripheral. It's more of the support end. And it's not really art. It's just supporting it. So we'll talk about that because that's not really neither good or bad. It just really depends on where, you, where your viewpoint might be on that. And then you have stuff that's just straight bad. Okay? And I'm not really interested in your viewpoint because when I'm telling you it's bad, it's bad. You want to go around and jump in a vanity press and give $1,000 to some crook to give you a couple of books that look like garbage. And you think that you're going to be an author from this. Well, that's bad. That's bad for you. That's bad for art. That's bad for everybody involved in that thing. It's even bad on the people that produce it, even though they're making money from you. We'll talk about that further later. But that's what I mean by bad. It's clearly bad. Not my opinion. It's what it actually is. All right. So we'll go first with, with the good part of money in the arts. Now, you can submit to magazines on purpose on the ones that actually pay. There are plenty of literary magazines that pay. Plenty of them. $5 up to even a couple hundred dollars. You know? Uh, the, New, the New Yorker still takes uh, a number of, of pieces. And, and, of course, there are plenty of other magazines that are non-literary that pay. I mean, the mechanical magazines and, and the straight artistic magazines, meaning about actual visual arts, photography, film, that sort of thing. Those magazines actually pay. So yeah, you got plenty of those that pay, and we'll talk about the darker sides of that because there are there are issues with that in terms of there's on the other side of the coin. So we'll talk about it in the bad section of that, but in the good section, here you go. Those are places that do pay. Well, guess what, folks? Just like anything else that you submit out there, you're going to have a huge portion uh, of your work that's going to be rejected. So if somehow you believe, and this is why I, I laugh at those folks at, at, at Facebook that say this stuff, because obviously. And not living on the same planet that I'm living in, okay? They must be on another planet. And, you know, when you get a chance, tell me where that name of that planet is and how to get there so we can talk about that wonderful world that don't exist here, okay? You can't make a living that way. You simply can't, okay? Even if you submit it and every single one of your pieces got picked up at $100, you're not going to get, you're not going to make a living. Remember, they don't take taxes out or anything else, so... You're going to make all this money for a month, which is what? Maybe maybe $1,500 if somehow 15 of your pieces all get picked up, which is a 100% acceptance rate. I don't know. I don't know anyone's ever had that acceptance rate. They say Norman Mailer is one of the few writers in the, in the world, whether it was his poetry, whether it was his articles, or whether it was novels, 
that uniformly got picked up, meaning that he almost rarely got really rejected. Once you know he started becoming well well known. Well, not before that, I'm sure he got rejected. But even when he started becoming well known, you know, even then, it wasn't possible for him to get 100. percent So I'm not really sure how you're going to do that. But let's say, for argument's sake, because you want to live in this world, okay? 15 of your pieces got picked up at $100. That's $1,500 a month. Not a whole lot of money. Especially if you got a family and other things to deal with. I don't even know what kind of apartment you're supposed to be having unless you're living with your mom. Because you still got to deal with a car and you still got to deal with other issues in your life, including paying for the internet <laughs> and the computer that you just type the stuff on and sending it over to. Because I guarantee you, you're not printing it out someplace and, you know, actually mailing it. That's not going to be efficient, especially if you want to get paid in the same month that you actually wrote it, which, by the way, doesn't always happen. Okay? So those are the straight numbers right there. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. If you got some feature writers that, and here and there that you could do something. You could get a feature of Impossibly for Rolling Stone. you get like $2,500. Okay? You could get a couple of magazines that could take out an article of yours maybe. Maybe Time, you're going to get a couple thousand there. But that's still going to be few and far between. You're not going to make any kind of regular living that you can live on. Something real. So either you're going to have a part job someplace, job someplace, or maybe somehow you're you know incredibly independently wealthy. But I'm talking about real life here and realistic and, and, and just, you know, what they would call the, quote, starving artist, unquote. That's the facts of that. that. It's just that simple. It's just not really possible. It's not really sustainable. You know, I know you'll read about on, 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 on the Internet all day long about bloggers who make 5000 a month and this and that. Oh, yeah, guess what? That happens to be true. But that happens to be very few that are able to do that. It's just like basketball or baseball, or football, or even hockey, okay? You can get a scholarship to the college and ignore everything that the college can give you, graduate four years with some hokey-schmokey degree, but in the end, it doesn't mean you go into those big sports. Very few are. It's no different than that. So when you, when you start actually getting back to reality, that's really what you're facing over there. And I'm, remember, I'm on the good part of money here. This is not me being negative. I'm just telling you the truth about how things actually work. Okay? The morality of money is not so much fun in the arts. All right? It's simply not, especially for literary things. Not an easy thing at all. But that's what you're facing in those circumstances, okay? You might you might pick up a prize now and then that could be worth 1000 or $2,000. Yeah. You even have ones that are worth 10000 But guess what? And again, we'll talk about that on the bad side of money, but there's not too many consensus out there for literary or artistic or otherwise that are free. They don't exist. Very few of them do. And you, you think you're going to apply to every one of the free ones that are out there and grab all that money and you're going to be able to pay your life bill? No. You'll, you'll be in the dark with, with Abraham Lincoln and a candle, okay? That's, that's where you're going to be because that's where he was because you won't be having electricity anymore. Maybe, maybe you could send your stuff from the library, okay? Because that's about what you're going to be able to do. You got to keep that in mind. So there you go. That's another place you can get some money, but it doesn't mean that's going to sustain you. It, it can't. You know, the odds are against you on a regular basis. It doesn't mean the odds are against you that you're never going to win something. I've won money in contests before. I've gotten, I've gotten articles that, that, that I've gotten money from. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to pay lots of bills with those. Possibly a book one day might, and when that time comes, that'll be great. 
but it's really not exactly the, the smartest goal to have, not in this day and age. Uh, of course, you, you're looking at uh, royalties from books. If you can get a book or two out there that can sustain you that way, that's a, really a possibility. Don't get me wrong, but you have to also understand that we don't have the same publishing world we were not even since the 80s. It's, it's so, so different. Almost nobody gives you advance unless you're a celebrity. And guess what? When they give that big celebrity advance, that celebrity is never going to see money from that publisher again because very few of them can actually push any of those books very far. And that's what TV and radio, that's how hard that can be. So the money they get is all they're ever going to probably get. It's extremely difficult because you know what happens. All those books have to pay back that, that advance. It's no different for you. In fact, right now, you could, you could probably write the, the, the swiftest uh, horror novel or, or science book out there and between your PR person, between your, your accountant, between your agent, all taking some money out of you, and you between you getting a very low, if not any kind of advance at all, you're not even looking at anything, you could be spending a year and a year and a half getting this thing ready. That doesn't even count if you actually spend some money on somebody helping you professionally proofread it, or maybe even somebody help you edit it. And we'll talk about that, because some of those things are not always really the best way to go about things, and, and, and could literally, literally waste you money. But nevertheless, if you count all that in there, you're actually putting more money in the book than you're going to get out of it. Because you need that just to be able to get onto that level of the commercial things. So it's very difficult. I know a lot of writers. And I know a lot of writers in different fields who I talk to on a regular basis. Some of them won't even touch what I do because they just only want to write for money. And others, they don't do it literally enough to where I can do anything for them anyway. I know a writer that all he does is tech manuals. That's what he does. And there's a feel for that. And I will not make fun of those because I, I respect anybody that writes. They're one of the few people that you can actually write tech manuals and believe it or not, make an income. And believe it or not, actually make an income well enough that you can live on. You can even support a family on it. If that's really the writing that you love about, then, then go do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to understand something. Somebody that's a technical writer is not the same thing as somebody that's a commercial writer or, or, or even literary writer. This is somebody that is invested in that particular field, whether it's medical or engineering or chemical or, or, or computer. So in many ways, they are, and in some cases, they actually are engineers. They just don't want to go out there and, and, and do engineering in a classical way. They'd rather just write about it by making a manual. They make a lot of money for themselves, and they can still stay in that field. They might not. They might want to stay more homebound. Maybe they have a, a physical situation that you know prevents them from doing something else. I don't know all the reasons why, but I knew a few of them at least. And. It's completely accessible, but it's not the same kind of writer because the the knowledge they have in a particular field is enormous for them to be able to do that. So it's a, it's a select group, but it's one of the few places that you could do it. Yeah, you could do a whole lot of commercial writing. I mean, right now, if it's possible for them to sustain you, and if you could do that, there's a couple of places where you put down uh, within 1,500 words, uh, I think, uh, 10 different statements about 10 different reasons, you know, top 10 reasons why, you know, uh, Mussolini was a weirdo or top 10 reasons why bees are your friend. I mean, they have all these strange topics that people actually research. They write that up. They send it in. They get $100 for it. I mean, technically, if you write enough of these things and they like what you're doing and you feel you got a real swing on that, you can do that. I know some people that do that part time and do other writing as well. And altogether, this is pretty much how they do things. But you have to always ask yourself in the end. And this is one of the biggest problems with the morality of money 
or even just the presence of money in the arts is even on the good side of things, okay? Is that all you're doing it for? Because once you get stuck in that pattern, this is where you're making your money from. Are you happy doing that? Do you love the things you want to do? I know some writers that do this, and they just come back with you with Mark. Plenty of people, including you, Mark, work a job that you don't particularly like, but you do it anyway because you need the money to, to support yourself and your family. Yeah, this is true. I'm retired, and I'm still working because it's necessary. Oh, well, that's, that's just the way it works. I got you. You're right. But as a writer, if you want the freedom to write whatever you want, why well, I guess you're doing that on the side, or you're doing that after your other writing work, which has now become a job instead of writing. So those are the problems that you face in the morality of money that you have to live with. That's the reality of it. I wonder if I should have called this show the reality of money instead of the morality of money. But we'll see why I did that on, on the broader base when we go through all the categories. Okay, so I'm going to stick with the morality of money. But there is the reality of the money that we're talking about right now. And that is the reality of it. The money, well, rather the moment money starts to enter into the picture on anything, including writing, things change. You change. And you have to understand what those changes are and if, if those are going to become acceptable for you. Now, I, I'm not saying it's fair, so therefore I'm not going to be fair. Or rather, I'm not going to be unfair about this, but... You know, it would be unfair to say, well, you know, if you do this now, Jim, I mean, how do you think you're going to feel about it five years from now? Who the hell knows what anyone's going to feel about five years from now about something? So I got that, and I'm fine with that, okay? But it is still something that you have to ask yourself, at least privately, can I keep doing this? Am I going to fall out of favor with it? Am I going to stop loving it? Because, Or does it become just another job? And how do you find the joy and writing later on that evening when it's not a job anymore, and now you're back to doing something that you love. Because then you have to say to yourself, all right, these two hours over here, where I'm working on my uh, my gay Frankenstein novel with aliens that come out and help Dracula, okay? Um, I'm loving that, but this other stuff about, you know, auto mechanics 201, uh, I'm just not, I'm not with it, but it's paying a bill. Those are realities you have to face. And lots of people have problems with these down the line. So even in the good part of this whole show on the morality of money, those are the realities that you have to face. Am I just a hired gun? Am I, long, am I even a writer anymore? Am I just a typer of a bunch of damn ideas that have been literally edited to death so that it, it fits? I don't know. I think what they say, the average reading level for a newspaper is like the seventh grade. And I think for a, uh, even a technical journal, it's it's like, you know, the 10th grade or something. I mean, literally, that's what they're, they're really bringing it down to. These are just the unfortunate facts, folks. Sometimes I don't even like having to deliver them. But if you want to think about a show that's about about our, our writing and, and our lives in writing and something about the world that you have to face when you deal with writing, whether it's addiction or depression or what we're talking about right now, the facts of money in the arts, well, these have to be talked about. They're not fun to hear as much as me having to say it. I'm not exactly having a, a joy fest over here. But you need to understand those. And I'm telling you this from my own experience because I've done these things already. And I've done it long enough to say, uh, no, this is not what I want to do with my writing anymore. I'd rather take a job that I don't like, 
that makes me money on things I need to get, whether it's my car insurance or getting my kid a video game or whatever, versus doing the writing as a job, hating that still, and then I have to go back to writing again. I don't really think that I could sustain myself, invigorate myself, inspire myself, or even find that at some times because you know, it, it, you, you're grown on with it. I, I don't find it for me acceptable. And some people won't either, but they need at least to know that's the, some of the things that they have to face and that's some of the things that's going on right now. It's just unfortunately the truth. I chose a long time ago to, to, to stay away from that. And it's the main reason amongst many, and we'll talk about that, why I run a publishing house and I run a, a magazine and I run the show without charging anybody anything. They, you know, they have podcasts out there. They actually have, yeah, check out our, our private podcast where you can pay some money for and listen to some, some special episode. Guess what? For as long as I have this show, you can mark it down on the calendar if you don't want to believe me, or you can just take me seriously like you should be. Uh, I will never be doing that, ever. And if they ever got to the point where the network says, we'd like you to do that, I'm like, too bad. I don't care. I'll go somewhere else then. I'm not worried about it. But... I will not do anything in writing that I don't want to do because I found a long time ago for myself, Mark Anthony Rossi, that that's now how I can find my own voice and maybe my truth and maybe some of the truth that could be out there in the world that could help you. I'm not going to find those by doing it that way. Simply not. Okay, so I get emails from people saying I'm charitable. I appreciate that, but I'm not really doing it for charity. I get emails from people saying, I'm glad you're out there helping. Appreciate that because I am trying to do whatever I can to help folks. And when sometimes when you're preaching to the writing crowd, it's not always uh, always to the choir. And that's just the way it is. You know, heck with Mark, I'm going to try to do this. That's cool because guess what? I'm not a big person on, on, on holding grudges about that. You come back later on and say, you're right, Mark, it didn't work out. Okay. That's that. I'm not, not going to be over there beating somebody over the head over it. Just tell them the truth and you move on to the next subject. That's all you can really do in life. It's not like I'm raising kids over here where I got to tell them something 10,000 times a day. Got to. My job. I don't have a way out of that. I wish I did. And this in front of time, but it takes a while. That's just what, how it is. But writers is different. I'm just going to tell you about this and that's that. I'm going to go on. I, nothing more I can really do. You got the show. You can listen to it 20 more times if you, you miss something. Okay. Now, you can do commercial writing. It's, it's a really popular thing to do. I'm talking about everything from good home uh, keeping, housekeeping, to, to popular mechanics or popular science or all kinds of different journals. There's a lot of medical stuff in out there. There's a lot of script uh, copying you can be doing for, for websites, you know, about explaining insurance to everybody, about doing business. There's all kinds of places that will hire you from all kinds of different things. If that's the kind of writing you want to do, you can still call yourself a writer, but I'm not really sure if you want to share, you know, um, your article on, on dental hygiene with your girlfriend, or if you want to talk to your wife about your your cool uh, uh, article on uh, you know fixing a carburetor in your garage uh, in your spare time, in in six thousand words. I mean, again, I'm not making fun of any of that. It's legitimate writing. You are a legitimate writer. But you're not the kind of writer you probably really want to be. And that's what you have to face. And that's what you have to live with. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a few places still where you can make real money if you're willing to go out to, on the limb of things. A uh, perfect example would be uh, 
spec scripts for, uh, for, for TV shows, what they call a teleplay. Whether it's a half an hour or an hour, there are plenty of shows out there that, believe it or not, even though they have a team of writers on the show, which they need to have, they still take these spec scripts from fans, from anybody. You can send them something. They will read it. If they like it, they're going to pay you. You can make a couple thousand dollars that way. The average, I'm seeing this is the average, the average weekly pay, okay, for a, for a TV writer is $25,000 a week. That's the average. It's not a joke. It's serious money. I knew a girl. She sent over a teleplay from one of the shows that she really liked. Okay? They accepted it. They loved it. Well, she was like so inspired, she did another one. And another one and another one. They accepted four of her teleplays. I think she told me that she sent actually... I don't know, what was it, 14 or 15, or something under 20. It was like, it was over 12, over a dozen. And I know that's what she told me. It's like, I think it might have been 14 or though. And, and, and most likely, um, she probably had some more in the can, so to speak. But she sent 14 of them. They accepted five, which, by the way, in, in Hollywood, <laughs> it's astounding, okay? But she really knew the show. She knew the character so well because she loved the show that she was able to write well enough to convince them that, oh, my God, we should use this. This is great. Okay? So she did that. She was excited. She she privately told me that five shows gave her $12,000 for five shows. Okay? These are five half-an-hour shows, by the way, folks. Okay? So guess what? A few things she didn't count on. First thing she didn't count on is they give you the money. They don't take taxes out. That's not their job. This is Hollywood. They give you the money. You gotta still deal with that. Okay? Eventually, when you write enough for a show or any other place, you're gonna get what they consider the bottom rate. Believe it or not, I know you and I probably think a twelve thousand dollars is a lot of money, but guess what? If she was in the a screen guild, okay, in her case it would have been the Western Screen Guild. All right, they would have guaranteed that she got like over ten thousand dollars just for one script, but because she wasn't a union member, she wasn't in there, so they could give her whatever the hell they wanted to give her. Which I think in her particular case, they gave her somewhere in the neighborhood of like twenty five hundred dollars a script, which is a fraction of what an actual writer would get if they were a, a guild member. A lot of people don't know that. She didn't know that either. She didn't also know that she'd have to uh, apply for that. It cost about three thousand dollars for an annual annual rates to be in that union. Of course, if you're a regular writer doing this, it's it's worth the investment, okay? You had to at least have one or two scripts just to be able to be produced to even be entered. So you just can't even enter that if you don't have any, any credits. That's how that thing works. You have to have a film credit, you have to have a, a screenplay credit, a documentary credit, something along those lines that have been produced on, on, a, on a live basis, meaning a, a, a live action basis. But you can actually do cartoon scripts and still get in there too. So I guess it doesn't have to necessarily be naive action, but nevertheless, it's one of those kind of scripts, and uh, it, it just didn't realize that. So she she neglected to do that. She didn't really care. Then they invited her, believe it or not, the show. They invited her to come to visit them. They said we'll pay for you to come visit us, check out everything, 
And of course, she said, um, why, why would I want to come visit you? I'm, I'm happy what I'm doing. And you're accepting my shows. You go, well, we want you to visit everything because we like you to meet the other writers because we like to give you a job writing for this show. At guess what? Like I was telling you before, $25,000. I think they offered her like in the neighborhood of like 20000 a week. Because remember, she's still not a union member. If she became a union member later on, which would be the wise thing to do, they would have to bump her up because that's just the way it works. But she was like, wow. So she like, let me just talk with my family. So she talked to the family. She went out there since they paid for everything. Visited them, talked to them. They loved her. They offered her the job. She went back to her family and then she realized that she's asking more about the job that she had to be the guild member. Okay. She's going to have to eventually hire an agent, even though they hired her, because if you're going to be doing that, doing that kind of work, you have to have an agent because eventually you're not going to have a job when the show eventually gets canceled and the agent helps you get you over to the next one because they sell you. Yeah. She wrote this many episodes for this and this, this show did this well and blah, blah, blah. That's how that works. Also, when they offer you the job that that kind of money, that's all they're giving you, all right? You're not getting an apartment. You're not getting any food. You're not getting utilities. You're not getting a car. You got to figure all that stuff up on your own. They're just giving you almost $100,000 a month. Most people in America don't even make that in a year. Then, of course, you're going to have to move because now you can't be living away. I think I think she was living actually in Iowa, okay, or Idaho. I think it was Iowa. Iowa, yeah, it was with the I. I think it was Iowa. Yeah. And she's like, no, I can't do that. This is where I like to live, this and that. So she turned them down. But there's a place where you could do something. Guess what? Even though she turned them down, they didn't get mad at her, and they still accepted more of her scripts. Eventually, the show got canceled. That's that. I don't know if she's doing any more of that on another show or not, because, again, you have to have that kind of level of... of uh, I guess you can say fanhood, and but they, you know, they love what she was doing. I was certainly a, a impressed with it, and but so there's another way right there. It's just as you can see, all the good in that. There's of course lots of <laughs> lots of issues that you have to face. You know, she wasn't prepared uh, at all to uh, to go out there. And I say this all, you know, with with, with love of my heart for her and, and the kind of work that she did and the kind of human being that that, that she still is. Great, great person. So there's no criticism here. It's a judgment call about what you want to do with your life. And you have to make those things. That literally affects your entire life. You know? And I, I certainly agreed with what she had said privately about it and, and, and with her family that, yeah, I can do this and do what I love to do, but at the same point, I, I don't get to see my family because I'm going to have to go spend some of this money on some apartment that I don't want to be at away from my family for months on end. I don't know if you know anything about television writers, but these guys and these girls, I mean, they're hunkered down for like months at a time. Remember, you're seeing shows that have been literally filmed a while a while ago. It's not like it's live, which means these people have been writing it a while ago. So they're there three, four, five months, just simply there throwing ideas back and forth, writing, putting all this stuff together. Because, you know, the average TV show is about anywhere between 15 and 25 episodes, no matter where it's at now, whether it's on free TV or streaming or cable or whatever. That's the average show. So it's a lot of work to do all that, particularly if it's an hour show. It's even more work. You know, and you have to go through a whole lot. It's not like an easy thing to write these things. It really isn't. There's so much involved in it. And I guess she wasn't able to factor all that into that. Because it's very hard to do. I mean, when you're just simply sitting there typing up something cool that works out. 
sometimes you forget that you, you can't always do that. Now, does it mean that she can't do that again one day um, with another show? Because I'm sure it's possible. But you have to also realize she has the same predicaments. She might be asked the same things one day, and she'll probably going to have the same answers. It's not like you could tell somebody, hey, listen, um, I like that you picked up these spec reps, but I'm not really interested in being a union member. So, you know, you can keep underpaying me. Don't worry about it. I like the money anyway. And I'm not going to fly out there, and I'm not ever going to be part of your show uh, on a full-time basis because I can't. I have a family and this, that, and another. Because that's really what her position is. It's not something you can telegraph these folks. It's not something they're going to want to hear until the time comes for them to hear that. Then they have to make a decision. They want to keep you going or not. So that's some of the some of the hard realities of that sort of thing. I know at least three people, one who I'm a personal friend of, that wrote screenplays, screenplays, and a lot of people don't understand about screenplays. They're the, they're the most traditionally based, old-fashioned concept of writing in terms of things that have never changed regardless of the digital age that you ever face. You still have studios that literally say, you have to put together this screenplay in exactly the screen format that's been done for literally the past 100 years. It's never changed, okay? And not only do you have to do that, all right, but you have to actually print it out, punch it out into three holes, put in brass binders in it, and then mail it to us. Now, more studios today than ever before will take it on the digital basis, especially if you're using one of the more professional programs, okay? But there's still some that still do it that way. In fact, and, and I found when I found this out, I was like, "What? The ones that actually take the um, the the screenplay through through the internet and through the email, uh, you know, you send it through the uh, you know your your uh, your final script program or other programs that are out there. Some of them are still manufacturing that. Some of them will actually have somebody run it off and do that same thing so that somebody could physically have it in their hands." Sometimes there's a little judge in the room with people that are literally reading it and they want a physical version. They're going to sit there and look at the damn computer for three hours. That's how that's how mortabound that 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 entire that entire industry can be just on that on the screenplay. All right, and then there's a lot of things about screenplays that people don't really understand or realize. Okay, when you get what's called an option, they literally giving you money to not make the movie. And a lot of people, when they find that out, they're like, what the hell are you talking about, Mark? Okay, here's what I'm talking about, all right? You wrote a movie, let's say it's a comedy horror movie, uh, Billy Bob Beats His Uncle, okay? Let's let's call it that, all right? You send it out to a couple of places. Sometimes you can send it out without an agent. Sometimes you need an agent, all right? We'll talk about that. Well, guess what? Somebody, uh, I don't know, ABC Film Studio. Hey, man. Billy Bob beats his uncle. We like it. We want to option it. Okay? So you got to make a choice now. Do you take the option or do you not? Here's what an option actually means. Okay? It means that they like it so much, they're afraid to death that somebody else is going to produce it and make it. Basically, they're competitive. Because this is business, folks. It's no longer just the art now. That's why they call it show business. They don't call it show art. All right, in show business, they are giving you an option. That option is usually anywhere between fifty and one hundred thousand dollars. It has an expiration date on it, one year. So what they're saying is, if you let us option this, 
in regular term language, uh, take it off the market so our competitors won't make a movie that can make more money than we're going to make, then we'll give you this money for one year. After that year is up, we'll decide if we want to option it again for another year or if we're going to try to move it fast track into actually it being made at a movie. At that point, then, if it gets made at a movie, they give you even more money again for the same script. A hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars in some cases, okay? And then that's it for your money. Because unless you're a big enough screenwriter, you're not going to get royalties or anything like that. Only the very highest ones can even command that. But that's the end of your money. If they decide to say, you know, we want to option it for another year, because you signed a contract, that's in the contract, you don't have a choice. Boom. Here's another fifty thousand for that next year. So you might make a hundred thousand dollars on a movie that will never be made. It's sitting in some vault somewhere. Might never see the light of day. You can't send it, okay, to another studio to make more money to possibly, by the way, be optioned again, okay, until the options are done on that first studio that took it, whether that be one or two years. So literally, when you're writing the screenplay, it, it can be gone and never be made in a movie. But guess what? Your options are still important because they still count as a credit on your actual screenplay resume. Okay, it's possible you could send out a screenplay that you wrote that could be options. Okay, because I've really done this. That's why I'm telling you this. All right, never be made in the movie, but because you've been optioned and you didn't have an agent when you did this, you just sent it directly to them and they optioned it. Okay, you can now. Because this would be with a different script. That's why script and screenplays are very difficult because you need to have three or four or five of them in the bag to get anywhere. Because you're gonna have all this stuff trapped up. And that's if you're even any good at it, okay? Now you can go to an agent. Dear Mr. Havisham. I love Great Expectations, so I always use Havisham for everything. It's just That's just me, okay? Dear Mr. Havisham. Really beats his uncle, okay? Got optioned by ABC Studios, all right? So um, I got another screenplay over here. I'm trying to get placed someplace. Can you help me? The moment they see, and by the way, they don't just see, they verify, because you're going to have the WGA or the ECA, the, the Scheme Guild, you're going to have them at least have that serialized with a, with a number for five years. This way it's protected. That's how you protect the screenplay. You'll be giving them that. They'll be able to compare that with the studio who will say, yes, we did option that particular one under that number. We got a, a one-year option, possibly with an exemption of two. They confirm that. Hell yeah, come on board, we'll see what we got. They're going to take you sight unseen just because of the option. That's what the option does for you, and of course, um, the money you made. But remember, when you have an agent, it's not the same thing as when you don't have an agent, because every time you get options, you got to give 10% of that to the agent. So, you get another $50,000 for the, another screenplay, you're giving back to that agent $5,000. Now you got $45,000. Don't forget, you still have to pay taxes on this, all right? They don't take that out. You got to claim all that. That's why you have to be a, your own little accountant. You got to hire somebody. You do this enough. You're going to need somebody to help you. Otherwise, you're going to have a serious sack problem, which you don't want to have. Now, that's pretty much the nutshell of, of screenplays. You're going to get option. You're going to get option again. You might even get it made into a film. More people who are in screenplays, okay, this is how they actually make their money. If this is all that they want to do, this is all they do, okay? 
they make it this way by either getting some of their plays options, uh, excuse me, getting some of their tele, excuse me, their screenplays options, or <clears throat> maybe once in a while getting a movie made, which gives you a whole, whole lot of more money. But most of the times, what writers will do, because agents will help you get this way, because remember, they get 10% of your money, they'll help you get script doctoring jobs. Lots of studios, they buy something from somebody. Maybe, maybe you have two options, and maybe they want to make it into a play. They still don't like it. They want to do this and do that. So they'll hire somebody to help script doctor it. They might even hire script doc your own damn your own damn screenplay. I mean, it's literally happened, and it happens. It's so routine. You can get some option twice, then they buy it, and then that's when they, they come back a month later. I, uh, we want you to doctor this, and we'll pay you for that. But oftentimes, you can get work on that. Literally fixing other screenplays to try to improve them or try to get them to the direction that the, that the studio wants. They'll give you $25,000 for something like that. They'll give you like 60 days to do it. Again, another way for somebody to make money writing that's real that you can live on. Some, I know at least two screen uh, screenwriters that I think between the two of them, they have like maybe six options, like one film that was ever made, and they're pretty much making all their money from script documents. In fact, one guy, he does so much of that work that he makes more money in a year script acting than he does from anything else. Now, you can call that disheartening. You can call that uh, being smart and, and, and getting wealthy. Uh, you can call that, God, I'm doing on somebody else's crap. When can I do on my own? Well, the more he learns, the more he sees, the more he has contact, it's going to help you still. It is a way to still network. And is, of course, it's still a way to stay in that business. That's what they do. The last thing about that, which is never the most fun, the most difficult is many of the studios, still to this day, when they buy your script, or even saying they want you to buy the script, they will fly you down for free, put you in a hotel, and they want you to what they call pitch the script to a room full of people. Producers, directors, possibly even a couple of actors that could be attached to that thing. They want you to literally sit there in front of these people, in this case stand there, and give them a whole breakdown of the script. Yeah, uh, so uh, Billy, he used to be a good kid, but he got like messed up with drugs, and um, he don't really honor his uncle anymore, so he beats him all the time. And this got him put, sent to jail, and inside jail, he convinced the big uh, guys in jail to figure out a new crime ring where they could spread drugs throughout the universe, and uh, blah, blah, blah. The end. I mean, literally, you're just giving them a whole idea of what it's about. And you have to sell the damn script. Because for some reason, they still don't think the script enough is selling itself. Not because there's something wrong with you or the script that you're writing. It's because this is what they normally do. They want it to be sold to them. They want it to come alive. And you have to learn how to do that. Incredibly enough. It, it sometimes it's it's what breaks some screenwriters. Because they're like, what? I got to go out there and, and jump up and down this thing? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's what you got to do. So unfortunately, it's something that is part of that. Part of that business, but that's that's that business in a nutshell. That commercial writings, articles, and uh, teleplays a good way for you to make regular money. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a playwright. I've made some money uh, playwriting. If you can get something that's a big hit or, or something that gets produced regularly enough, you can make some really good money on that. It's hard enough to do it on a regular basis, though, which is why a lot of playwrights, even when they've done well playwriting, they still have to wind up doing instruction in playwriting or teaching or, or doing other jobs. Sometimes they even work straight for the theater, and that's a, that's part of their job. 
And there's nothing wrong with all that, but that's what some do because it's very hard to be uh, consistent or, or, or get people who want to take your work consistently. It's just, it takes a while to do to get a, to get a big name to, to do that. But it can be done, and it's also a real possibility there. Of course, it's, remember, it's, not, it's, it's a much more people-oriented job as a playwright than it is a screenplay. Because when you're a screenplay writer and you're in that room pitching it, that might be the last time you ever get involved in them. They say, okay, we're sold. Cool, here's your check. Have a good day. They might never call upon you again. Only the biggest people really get to hang out on, on the set, like Stephen King or somebody like that. Most people don't ever get to do that. Screenplay writers very rarely get to visit that. Talk to other people, talk to actors. It doesn't get done. It's just, it's actually rarer than you realize. But as a playwright, it's different. It's common for you to be around the director, around the actors that are involved in this, particularly if you're somebody that the plays getting picked up in a bunch of places. It's, it's, it's simply not unusual. Sometimes it's part of the terms of what they're paying you about. We're going to give you this amount of money for this amount of performances, but we expect you to be around. In fact, some theaters literally say, we're going to have a Q&A after this whole over it, so I expect you to be there because you're going to have to answer questions for the audience after the damn play is over it. Because they're not interested in hearing what some actor with a with a great smile has to say about it. They want to know about who wrote the damn play and what was he thinking or was she thinking. So sometimes you got to do that. So there's more, a little bit more involved in that. But again, you're going to have playwrights who are like, oh, my God, i got to talk to people. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. You just wrote about them all day. But talking about them, that's different. Huh? But that is part of it. All right, so that's that's it for the uh, for the real good part of money in the arts. Okay, that's the the morality of money in the arts. That that is the morality right there, and all the things you're gonna have to face in and out. As you can see right there, it, it can be slim pickings when you cross all of those different boundaries. So it's not the most fun thing, and not the easiest thing, and you have to make a lot of personal choices about a lot of that stuff. You know, you really do. Because if you don't, they're not gonna care. Some of this is involving networkers. Some things involve traveling. So I know playwrights sometimes they have to travel because it's what's demanded of them. What do you do that when you have a wife and two kids? <laughs> I think I got to do this because this is how we're paying the light bill. Yeah, trust me, I've been there already. That refrain, yeah, it gets old after a while, and then you have to make other choices and, and other things. So those are things you have to face. All right, let's go on to the next part of this, which is the non-art part. Okay, there's a lot of money in, in, in arts that's non-art. And whether that's be for the good or for the bad, it's up for you to decide. I'm just going to lay it out for you, okay? I might have a comment on it here and there. Um, booking fees. Uh, believe it or not, that's part of things. It costs money to book things. They have to pay sometimes booking agents, sometimes the the you know the the telegirl at the booth for a theater or no matter what kind of that, that that that's money that has to go out so that's part of money that's in arts that have to go to something that's not going to the artists it's not going to the anybody else involved other than the whole structure of the arts that's that's money that's just necessary you can like it or not but that's what it is all right payroll a lot of organizations have payroll I was uh. Not surprised to hear, and a lot of people were. I, I even had people email me about this. Mark, I can't believe this. What can't you believe? Part of one of the first stimulus packages went to uh, a number of artistic institutions. I think one for a couple of museums and a couple of art places that um, at the time the, the Democrats had asked for in the stimulus bill. They said, listen, I think some of these places should get some of this money. 
I only mention them because that's really what happens. And I, per se, don't have a problem with organizations that are trying to sponsor art, get, get some money from the government. Uh, I've never had a big problem with it as an artist. But what I do say is this. You got to remember also, when that happens, that it's not always the best of, of all the worlds because, unfortunately, a few of those organizations use the money for infrastructure. They use it to pay off uh, their IT people and their accountants and their marketing people and their advertising people, some of the basic staff that kept the place open, security, capital funding, all of the stuff that has to do with the support of the arts, but not necessarily the arts. And in some cases, and this is where they got some criticism about it, even from organizations and even from people who really support the arts, I don't get this straight here. You just laid off like 65 people and let them go to the unemployment line, but you're going to take all this money, in some cases up to $25 million, and none of that goes to those people to come back to work. It just goes for all this other stuff. So it could be, as you can see, a bit heartbreaking and even controversial. This is a non-art thing that happens in the morality of money and arts. Why they did that? Yeah, they didn't even give a suitable answer, in my opinion. You know? Especially since oftentimes the people in the arts, they tend to be, for the most part, on the same side of, of the political fence on things. I don't have to name what side of this. I think you all know what I'm talking about. So I would think that, you know, labor huh, would be one of the things you might be sympathetic about. But apparently... You know, unemployed uh, you know, people in the arts, uh, let somebody else handle that. Let's just go you know, pay off the architect and, 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 and the roofer and, and the guy that does my uh, my IT work. So maybe it's a matter of priorities. Maybe it's a matter of this is the way standard things work. I don't really know. Maybe they just think they're making tough choices with so much money they can get. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I do know one thing. $25 million is a lot of money to me even in the year 2020, especially since it's not a loan. You don't have to pay it back. It is giving it to you. But those are the choices and those are the decisions you're making. And then you wonder why people get mad about funding for the arts or anything else because that's their tax money. And if they don't think that it's covering something that they might believe in, they're going to say something. And I can't blame them for that, just like I don't blame art organizations for asking for money. Yeah, they should try to get some private sponsorships. Yeah, they should try to find some ways to make some money inside the arts themselves. And yeah, maybe they need some government grants. Maybe they need all three of those sources. But they still need to make decisions that make sense to the public. Because if you piss them off, it's hard for them to want to support the arts. Why am I supporting national ballet, people? I don't even have a ballet place where the hell I live at. I hear that a lot. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with national ballet. But... It's not an unfair comment to make. And my tax sale is going over there. I can't even fly to go see the damn ballet, but I can't figure out how to get one of those over here in my town or, or my state even. You know, we have some states that don't even have that ballet, let alone a town. So you have to wonder about that, okay? Uh, of course, we talked about this a little bit before. Another non-art uh, thing uh, that, that money has to go to, the agent fees. 10%. Believe it or not, some even charge more. In fact, some agents, and this is what my friend had learned, uh, we talked about that many episodes ago, the, the guy that he signed 100, uh, 
$100,000 contract for three books. No, I'm sorry, not, uh, $250,000 contract for three books. One which he delivered, two he still needs to write. And when everything was said and done, he probably made about 100000 because literally all the rest of the money he's putting out for his own hotels and everything else. So he's got to still pay his agent. He's got to pay his PR person. A PR person that was assigned by the publisher, he has to pay that person. Great. Thanks. So those fees, that PR person, that booking person, the agent, all of that, that got to get paid by you. But nevertheless, it's non-art money. I know that's support of the art, so to speak, but it's still money going out. That you're not seeing. It's gone. Bye. So that's something you got to deal with. A lot of people can make money from the arts by speaking. Speaking about different things in the arts. We have speakers bureaus out there that pretty much become your agent. Get you to go someplace. But you're taking back money to them. They're not doing it for free. So if the joint you're going to speak in is, is charging $1,000. You know, between taxes and, and you paying the, the speaking bureau. Maybe you're going to see like four or 500 of that. Like half of it's gone. Boom. Mm -hmm. So keep supporting all those uh, wonderful programs that you, you, you want the tax money to go to because guess what? You're paying for them. And you'll see that right away when you start getting some of these some of these checks in. I'm like, God, I got to pay for that. Yeah, not only do you have to pay for that, but you better put that money aside because when it comes to tax time, you're going to be owing money. It's not a joke. <laughs> and then, of course, the, the last thing, and the thing that always gets in, in my craw, is submittable. If you're a magazine like, like I have, you actually have to pay them to even use that service. I don't because I don't believe in it. But I use it as a writer, but I won't pay anybody in there that uses it that wants a fee. I'm against all that. We'll talk about that on the bad side of things, but in terms of a non-art, guess what? I feel that submittable is non-art. It's just another one of those supporting role places, but they take money. They take money from writers on the fees, and they take money from all the other people that subscribe to them. They have to pay them. And the sad thing about Submittable or any other organization that's similar to like to it is that it hasn't changed anything other than more money is coming out of the pockets of editors and writers. That's about it. That's the only thing that's changed. It hasn't changed the response times to writers. They're still long as heck. Even though it's been sold as a bill of goods of yeah, man, we can, like, organize better something, Mark, man. And, and, and like, my staff, I can have volunteers that, that they can see what's going on. And, and, and yeah, right, all that's a bunch of crap because it doesn't change anything. It's, you're still waiting a long time. In many cases, I've had to withdraw stuff from, from, from Submittable because it doesn't even look like they're looking at it four or five months later. What the hell am I doing with that? How's that helping me? Why is it not any faster like he claimed it was supposed to be? It's not. But on top of that, you want money from me? Which, by the way, I, my own personal policy, and I preach it a lot because I practice it. I don't pay anybody anything, ever. Which means that when I see something insubmittable, they want that standard three dollars. Buy. I don't even waste my time reading the guidelines or anything. I just don't submit to them. If they're one of those magazines that claim once or twice a year it's an open thing where you can send it for free, I might check that out every so often. But that's about it. I won't do otherwise. Nope, believe in it. Don't care for it. But it's out there. And it's something you have to deal with if you want to even deal with Submittable. Believe it or not, you don't have to deal with Submittable. There are plenty of magazines that don't sign up on them. You can just email it or even in some cases mail it. You don't even have to worry about them if you don't want to. But I believe that it grows more every year. And I believe there's more and more magazines than ever before that submit to it. And there are not, uh, I think, 
from what I read. And that could be wrong, so I'm not going to swear to this. I'm going to tell you I believe that when you sign a board with them and you pay the fee, that you can't also have a free way uh, to do that like with a regular email. I think once you sign to them, that's it. You now have to go through them. So if you're charging something, you know, to help either pay for their fees or whatever, or for the contest you're doing or whatever you're doing, the fun stuff, that's it. That's all you can do. I don't think there's both ways. I really don't. I've never encountered that. So I'm believing that there is. Maybe there is, but I'm thinking there's not. So once you sign aboard with them, you, you're going to be following those policies. Now, don't get me wrong. You feel that you have enough of a subscription base, or you get uh, your academic base, and using some of that subsidy to pay your, your submittable fees, which is allowed, then you don't even have to charge. But some people do anyway. A lot that don't. There are plenty of people on submittable that don't, and I apply to them. But hey, I think it's going to continue to grow to the point that one day there's going to be very few magazines like mine left that that don't even use them. By the way, I'm never going to use them. Never. I don't even see a point of using them if, if they say, Mark, come on board and we won't charge you for anything. I don't see the point. It's not going to make my life or anything else any more, any more easier. It's not. In fact, if anything, I'm going to have to learn their system to learn to do this. To learn. I'm not interested in learning all that crap. I know exactly what I'm doing. I don't need it. So free or not free is not helpful for me. Maybe for others. But submittable, one of those non-art things that you're going to encounter. And it's part of the morality of money. You have to understand that. It's out there. They charge. It's not free. You might be able to submit to some places for free, but trust me, it's not free for them. <laughs> They're getting hit right over the head. But this is what they choose. I'm right with that. I understand. Bad. All right, here we're going on the bad. There is a, a big dark side to the morality of money in the arts. We talked about that briefly in the good side in the, in the sense of, you know, does it make me less of a writer? Does it make me less happy? Am I literally writing just for money? Am I writing just to make a living? Do I even care about what the heck I'm writing? Am I just, you know, a gun for hire? And I do other stuff on the side. You know something? I don't really have a clear answer for you on those things. And the reason why I don't is because in many facets, everything I just said could be true, depending on the person and how they want to view stuff. You know? If you want to write the great American novel on the side, and then all you want to do is contract with commercial places to write, you know, how to how to plumb, uh, do plumbing in your bathroom or, you know, how to fix the kitchen or how to make a, a nice dress or something. And that's all you want to do. And you're happy with that. And great. You don't mind being a gun for hire then. There's nothing wrong with that. It's respectable. It's profitable. I still believe that it's noble. I don't have a problem with that. You know, what I have a problem is, is that, those kinds of folks, sometimes you hear two different things out of their mouth, and, and that sort of thing bothers me. If you're doing what you're doing, learn what the consequences are. Learn to live with them, or get the hell out and do something else. Don't complain, because that doesn't do anything, and I get to hear that sometimes. Yeah, Mark, I tell my family that I love doing this because I'm making all this money, but I, I actually hate it. I like to jam the pen in my neck or, or throw this computer down the damn flight of stairs. I just want to let you know that. Yeah, thanks. That really did something for me. Get the hell out then. Do something different. But I need the money. I like the money. Well, there you go then. What is that person in that scenario? Okay? Are they the writer? Are they a hostage? Are they a prisoner? Are they a slave? I don't know what the hell they are. But I guarantee you one thing. When they're complaining like that, 
They're not feeling like a writer anymore. They're just feeling like something else. I guess they could fill in the blank on what that is, because I honestly don't know what it is. But it's hard to be a writer if you're not really happy about what you're doing. I don't mean happy like every day I'm a happy person, okay? That's not what I mean. You got people out there that are suffering and, and having to struggle with depression. So guess what? They're not always going to have happy days either. But they might be just happy on the days that they do have something that's clear uh, that they like what they're doing. And, and that's, that's really what it comes down to. Do you, you like what you're doing? I'm done. I got that. You're going to have fees for the magazines that you submit that are actually paying. That's the dark side of that, folks. And it's the bad side of that. You have to do the math. I talked to a couple of writers already. And I could just tell from their replies that when they stop cursing or stop acting like children, they're scratching their head. Shit, Mark, I never thought about that. Yeah, guess what? I found out I can actually say that word on the show. It's not considered a profanity anymore. So I don't know if that means society has sank lower than it was a couple of years ago, but oh well, I'll say it every so often. Not allowed. <laughs> but they're like, yeah, you know, you're right, Mark. I'm like, well, I'm not trying to be right. I'm just trying to let you see that some of your comments don't make any sense. Okay? If you get five publications... Just the ones that produce poetry, and they give you $25 each. So let's say you sent out five, you get five. That's $125, okay? Each one of them wanted $3 from you. Even if you just did one incredible, one miraculous poem they picked out of 10 you could have sent, all right? You already spent $15, you get $125. Well, most people think that's not bad math, Mark. That's not bad. Well, guess what? I've just given you the most ideal situation on the planet Earth. That's not going to happen for you. You're going to be sending out 10, 20, 30, 50 of these things, paying $3 each. Let's say you do 50. That's $150. You get five of these picked up. You just got $125. You just lost $25. How the hell is that putting any money in your pocket? Okay. Do you shut the phone bill off that, that month, the cell phone? Yeah, I just, you know, just won't, I won't do it this month. Those of you that use the cars or recharge it up that way. Well, I guess I don't have any sell this week. What can I get rid of next week? I don't know. Maybe food? I mean, that's the math of it all. And that's the real math. You're not going to get some ideal thing where all your stuff's going to 100% picked up. And even if you pay fees, this is all going to work out for you. It's not. So that dark side of money and morality and arts is you're going to be putting out more money than you ever get. Okay. It's no different with contests. And don't forget, I haven't even told you about the bias of a lot of these places because a lot of them have bias. They don't like who you are. They don't like where you're from. They don't like your resume. They'd rather put somebody that's, that's closer to their heart, somebody closer to who they are, blah, 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 blah. You got to deal with all that stuff too, things that you can't even control, things that are definitely supremely unfair, but it's going to happen, you know? I have writers asking me about racism and writing. I'm like, racism and writing? You just forget about just the normal patronage and the normal cronyism in writing. That's a lot more damaging than racism will ever be in writing, okay? Because a lot of these places, they're picking their friends and their relatives and, and, and three people that the department chair just said have to be in that magazine. And they won't question that person. Even though that person might not have said anything that's worth anything, and their, their judgment as the editor, yeah, I got to take this now. That's spots you could have had. Somebody else is getting taken in there. That's what happens in a lot of these magazines. 
So you're dealing with all of that nonsense, and then somehow you're going to make a living from that? Please, folks, let's wake up, okay? Now, contests, the very same thing you're dealing with, okay? Well, Mark, I think it's worth it to do $25 to this thing, man, because I could win a 1000 All right. It's just like a lottery ticket. Fine. Great. Nothing wrong with that. But how many times can you do that? How many times can you enter in these various contests? Okay? You can't answer more than one of the contests unless it actually specifies that. So now you have to go to three and four and five and seven contests. Hope to God you have the right material. You're the right person for whatever. Each one of them charging anywhere between 10 and $25. Although I've seen now some, some actually charging 35 Great. Which, by the way, I don't, I don't participate in any of these damn things, okay? Not one. If it's not free, it's not for me. You don't have to like that rhyme, but that's my philosophy. Always has been. Always will be. Seven contests. All right, let's just split the, let's split the odds here. $15 each, okay? That's $90 right there you just put out, all right? I agree with you. If you win any of those contest prizes, anywhere from the third prize of $250 up to $1,000, you just made your money and more. Okay? If I can get emails from people who tell me they do this on some kind of regular basis and this is a good way for them to supplement their income, I'd love to even hear that because I don't even hear that. Very hard to win. Very difficult to deal with. And guess what? Your money is gone. That $90, you're never going to see it again. So maybe you could roll that into the next seven or eight you might want to do in a couple months from now. Okay? Let's add up at the end of the year what you got. Okay? Because there's a good chance that if you did this on a regular basis at the end of the year, you might have spent three to $400 just on contest fees, haven't won anything. And even if you won a third prize, you look at anywhere between $150 to $250. That still doesn't even cover what you put out in fees for the whole year. Money. In the arts, the morality of money in the arts, the reality of money in the arts, that it is right there. Does that sound like wonderful math to you? Hmm? This is business, folks, if you want to look at it that way. You just want to talk all that money stuff. Well, that's the business for you right there. It's not pretty. It's not sexy. Okay? All right? Not easy to bend your hand around that because those are the hard facts. As a playwright. I see things here in, 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 the, in the drama field, and I've argued with a few, I mean, not even a month ago. I, I literally told uh, a director, you've got to be kidding me that you're going to try to ask me for a fee. You've got to be nuts. Because every so often I get so angry, I just email them back. You crazy? Oh, they, they have all these wonderful justifications. It's all boilerplate justifications, by the way. I've never found anybody, and, and me, 25 years in playwriting, I've never found one that's given me anything that makes a damn bit of sense. Other than they're bad businessmen themselves, or somebody, somebody's putting some of this money in their pocket. Because I guarantee you it ain't going to the artists. It's definitely not going to the playwright. I bet you the director's not even getting anything. But somehow they're getting all this money. You got some places that literally say, We want you to pay just to submit the play. As you already know, since I'm not doing that on any other writing, I'm certainly not going to do it for that. Then, unique, all right, unique to playwriting. It's not like any other writing at all. Hey, um, we want to let you know up front, there's no submission fees, but if we pick you, we want you to give us $150 because it helps us cover the rental space that we're using for this theater. So literally, you're actually, you're now, they're now declaring, they're not even a formal theater. They're a theater troupe 
they don't actually have their own place. They have to go borrow somebody else's. And instead of borrowing it for free, they now have to pay those people. So you're paying the people that are arranging this, and you're paying the person that is in charge of the organization, maybe a, an admin person. And so you're paying like a, for a, a crew of people to do all this. Okay? And guess what? Because I talk to playwrights all the time. Okay? And they have no problems confessing to me that they felt their selection in a place like that hinged more on the fact that they were willing to pay that fee. Which is which is which you're openly saying, well, at least openly to me, because they're probably not saying that to too many people, that your selection was more based on money than on the merit of your play. I don't know how anyone lives with themselves, other than that they feel like they're so desperate they have to have a credit or something. Or they get to justify to somebody that their playwriting is worth a damn or something. I don't know what the hell is running through their minds. All I know is that the moment you do something like that, you know, in my eyes, you're becoming less of a playwright. That's what you're being. Because, again, you have to think like that. You have to say, is this because my play is good? Or is this because the dude just needs to fill a spot and he's got to pay the, he's got to pay it off? He's got to pick somebody. To have that kind of feeling is bad. It's just bad. It's not art. It's money. Money by itself is not bad. Okay? If you know anything about what the actual Bible says versus the stupid quote that's been going around for a couple thousand years that's been misquoted. The love of money is not evil. No, it's but the quote it says is the root of evil is the love of money. It's pretty much pretty much saying that greed is why money can be bad. And greed is the root of all evil because if you know anything about the Bible, well, that's what happened with Lucifer. Lucifer became greedy, wanted more, and wound up getting kicked out of heaven and losing favor with God. So that's what it's trying to say. It's trying to say, though, to warn you that if you love more, if you love money, and you don't respect it as an instrument, just like a knife, where you can hurt somebody or you can cut, you know, some, some cucumbers, money's the same way. It could be an instrument for good or bad. It could be a weapon or it could be something that's wonderful. There you go. So, unless somebody's paying you Paying you as a, a playwright for your play, nothing else that they're asking you is, is worth a damn. You should run away. You should say no. Most of them, because of the disclosure uh, rules in arts, and even sometimes in some states they have a law for this, they have to say up front. So you can literally tell up front. It'll literally tell you, this is what we expect. This is what, if we pick you, what we expect from you. If you don't give that to us, you don't get picked. Which, again, that just tells you something right there. Because they're literally telling you in the guidelines, folks. I don't know how much more I can preach about this. They're literally saying, we want $150 for the storage space. If you can't give that to us, we're going to pick somebody else. But what the hell? I thought my play was great. No, apparently it's not great until you get $150. Then it's great. What does that mean about you? What does that mean about your art? What does that mean about them? I don't really have to say any more than that. You could figure it out. If you can't, maybe the arts are not for you. Next, the biggest thing I deal with on a regular basis, I've written articles about it. I've talked about it on Facebook. I did a seminar on it. I did at least three different shows on it. I literally did an entire show called Vanity Insanity. Vanity Presses. The worst thing that's out there. The worst. You cannot demean yourself or hurt yourself any more as a writer than if you go to somebody and pay them to publish your book. 
Now, guess what? The name vanity has become so nasty that now they come up with different terms. Nothing like writers coming up with new ways to rob you and new ways to say it. I gotta give that credit to writers, though. We can be very creative as we're evil at the same time sometimes. So we're using writing against you to be a writer. If you don't find it disgust in that, I don't know what's going to make you disgusted. But now they call themselves alternative publishing. Cooperative publishing. I love that one. Cooperative. Yeah. I'm, I'm cooperating with Jim and my Visa card. That's my cooperation, right? Yeah, thank you. Uh, hybrid. That's my. That's really a cool one right there. But Mark, man, this isn't the vanity press, man. It, it, it's a hybrid press. That's just another word for you're going to be ripped off by somebody that wants all this money to you. I mean, they'll lie to you about, listen, 100% of these costs are not coming from what you give us and that. This is a hybrid, so we're actually incurring some of these costs. They're not incurring anything. You're lying to you. You're giving them all the money. Two, three, four, seven thousand dollars I've seen. I'm so passionate about this issue because I've literally had to help people get out of this jam. I've actually talked to the attorney general of at least three different states to tell them how absolutely unethical it is. For them to even get involved, guess what? Some of those writers got some of their money back, but never an instant did they get all of their money back. That's how much you're dealing with thievery and, and criminal behavior. And they'll they'll tell they'll even tell the attorney general one was brazen enough to said, Well, we marketed this exactly what we did to that person. So since it's allowed in my state and since I haven't really broken any laws, and since I followed the very same contract that this person, although they're probably saying under their press, this dummy, okay, signed, I don't feel that you could do anything. But I'll give them back some of the money just in terms of good faith. Maybe they went into it just with eyes closed. Yeah, yeah you're definitely right about that. That's probably the only honest statement I ever heard from that vanity publisher was that the person went in with eyes closed. You're damn right about that. But that's why I say these things. I've actually had to go the farthest, and, and this is the farthest that any magazine has gone to. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. But to me, it, it has the logical end to it. If I'm so much against this, why do I even allow anybody to try to have a book review on my on my site and it's coming from one of these vans? There's no point in even having a review. There's no point for me to promote your book, to talk about your book. Hell, I don't even allow it on the bio anymore. If I see it on there, I tell the writer. And you can get mad and say this is non-art. Or you don't have a right to say this and blah, blah, blah. It's my magazine. I have a right to say whatever I want to say. And you have a right to either accept it or, or walk away. That's what's called freedom in society. I literally tell them, listen, I love this poem. But I'm not going to have you put vanity junk in your, in your bio. So if you're willing to exercise that out, just for my sake in this magazine, I'm happy to do so. Because I'm not promoting these people any way what's possible. Nothing. Not even in the tiniest bit. I'm not saying for them to get rid of that forever. They can go to another magazine and, and talk about it all damn day long. I'm not asking them to do anything other than for me. Because I'm just not promoting that. Some people okay have done that. Some people said, hey, Mark, I don't really think that's fair. That's cool. I'm not publishing. You have a good day. Too bad. I'm just not going to do that. Because I see the dark side of it. I hear it of people. Hiding from their husbands, they spent thousands on, on a phony publisher. I know people that, that have literally squirreled their life savings on stuff like this. 
people who, who literally had their relationship ruined because they lied about something they did because they thought in the end it, a book was going to come out and their stuff was so great and they're going to be able to sell it and make all their money back and more. So it was okay to steal from that from their relative to do this, which is sad all the way around because they're stealing from a relative in order to get stolen by some other person. But this happens all the time. All the time. I get emails from people. Mark, can you talk about this? No, I'm looking at the publishing. Are you kidding me? I know who all they are. And any new ones, I'll find out real fast. I know the language. I know exactly how they handle these things. But folks, this stuff has been publicized across the universe. You can't be a writer that don't know about this. You have to be going this eyes eyes open. There's no way. You can't be that naive. It just can't. And I can't believe that people are. Some people swear that they are, but it, I, I just find it's hard to believe. But Mark, isn't it the same with self-publishing? No, it's not. It has nothing to do with self-publishing. I tell people all the time, if you are willing to invest money in your writing, then why don't you invest in yourself? Open up your own little publishing company, whether it be print or electronic or whatever. Put money into yourself. Go market your book out there. There's nothing wrong with that. That's honorable. I will accept that. I'll review that. If it's good, I'll talk about that. Great. There's nothing wrong with that. Invest in yourself. Don't invest in some phony place that's trying to give you some phony legitimacy because you're not going to be legitimate as long as you have that on your resume. As long as you have that in your life, you're always going to say the back of your mind. I don't know, man. Would they would have taken that if I didn't give them $6,000? And in many instances, and these are presses that we see all the time in the arts, small presses and small, small publications, they don't even produce a decent product. All right? It looks like a drunk man put this together with Elmer's glue. Okay? Some of the stuff I wouldn't even put in the birdcage. But you just spent $3,000 for this? Are you kidding me? You're not even getting a decent product. Some of them won't even give you enough, uh, enough uh, copies to actually sell. Try to get your money back. A number of them, they literally say, yeah, we want $5,000, which, by the way, is actually cheap compared to everybody else, okay? We'll give you 25 copies. Anything else you want, we'll give you a discount. You can buy more from us. As you can see, they're setting you up to buy even more copies so you can give them even more money. At that point, you're now probably in for $6,000. How many copies do you think you're going to be able to sell just to break even? If, if you don't believe me, that vanity hurts the arts and it hurts you as an artist, then maybe you just can't believe me on the money, the morality of money in this situation and the reality of it. You're not going to even make your money back, let alone make money. The chances are you even getting something like that in a bookstore is extremely difficult because they look up who they're dealing with. They're going to like, really? These people will take anybody. Why would I want to carry your book? That's what they'll say. And I'll tell you this now. because I've seen plenty of this already. And I've read a number of them too, by the way. These people just send them to me. I, I, unannounced, they send it to me. Wouldn't believe it. I'll get a PDF version of it or I'll, I'll get something in the mail. Literally, to my house. The cruelest thing of all. The cruelest of all. And if you think that stealing money from you is cruel, there's something even more cruel than that. More times than not, the writer is a good writer. You'd be shocked. 
because you'll you'll have people with the stereotypes. Well, they they shouldn't have been published in the pro press. That's what that's why they did it with and spent all that money. No, you're gonna have a class of people that are like that. Don't get me wrong. I've seen them that some of that stuff too, but I've seen even more on good writers. All they had to do was either set their own shop up if they really want to be published that bad and that quickly, and do it in an honorable fashion and get out there and invest in themselves, or be patient. Go to the various places that create chapbooks and, and put them out for free. Or, or go to the small presses. There's plenty of the legitimate ones out there. Go do that then. And wait your turn and be patient and, and keep at it. You can do that too. So that's really the shocking thing of, of all of this. Getting robbed to me is not that shocking. It's horrible, but I'm not shocked about it at all. I'm shocked on the quality of some of these writers. They're still doing this. Mark, I was tired of waiting. Mark, it's frustrating to not have anything in my hands. Mark, I don't really believe that ebooks are legitimate. I hear that a lot. It's a, it's a weird prejudice, you know. Somehow they, I can get, they can get published in my uh, my online journal. That's legitimate, but an ebook, oh my god, that's just not legitimate, Mark. Okay, you hear the logic in that, okay, and and, and, and the silliness in that. This is what I hear. There's people that say this on a on a regular basis. You know, like, I, I just felt I've been doing it too long. I, I, I just felt it was a good way to pay myself, so to speak. I'm like, and I've heard that term before. I'm like, well, if, if you started your own company, even if it was a print company, and you just went out there and sold the books and conventions and, and beer halls and libraries and whatever, that's paying yourself. That's not money that's wasted because you're wasting it on yourself. No, you're just spending it on yourself. That's a good thing. Okay. But you're not spoiling yourself and you're not paying yourself when you give it to a stranger who doesn't care about you, not going to edit your book, going to give you some crappy artwork, going to put it together poorly, give you very few copies. You're going to be in debt just doing this. For what reason? For that? Why do you think I call it vanity press? Because it's for your vanity. This is not for their vanity. They're just laughing behind the scenes. Okay? Everyone that we got involved with and people asked me to do something. Every one of them gave back some of the money. They didn't give it all back, but they all gave back some of it. I don't know about you, but if you know anything about business, and apparently you don't, okay? A business is not going to give you anything back unless they feel that they're culpable in some manner. Oh, well, Mark, they just didn't want the AG on top of their heads. Okay. Sure, that's, uh, that's not a, a, a bad thing to say. I'm sure that's a fact. I'm sure that's a truth. But why the hell is the AG on your head in the first place? Because... You're doing something that's ultimately unethical, even if it isn't always illegal. You should give it all back, but hey, I I accept one that did say, and it was probably the only argument I ever heard from a vanity press that made any sense as they're getting their asses kicked, okay, by the AG was, listen, I need to be able to keep some of this money because I did put the money out to... Uh, to get a proofreader and, and to get a, a printer and, and, and the cost of materials and something like that, and, and I did present those to, to, to the writer. And of course, you can't you can't argue that whether you like it or not is one thing. But yeah, they should keep some money for that, unfortunately. But you know, stay away from that stuff. It is the dark side of writing and the dark side of money in writing. And too many writers I come across do this. I don't ban anybody from from Aerial Chart or even from this uh, from this show if you do this. You, I'm just not going to publicize it for you. And if you don't like that, then you don't have to associate with us. That's fine with me. Because guess what? I'm still willing to associate with writers that do this. I just told them 
that's not for me. That's not going to work. Go do that somewhere else. But I'd be happy to publish your work here because you're good writers. So many of them are. And that's why it's so damn frustrating to see that because it's not really necessary. Okay? The last one here that we're going to talk about, probably the most controversial one of, of everything we're talking about, believe it or not. If that wasn't controversial for you, this definitely will be. Because it hits a lot of people in places they don't like to, to admit. The editors for hire. It's the worst thing that you can possibly do. You actually get less from an editor for hire than you even do from one of these rep vanity ripoffs. If that can even be possible, guess what? It actually is possible. Because you're going to find people on a Facebook all over the place in these writing places advertising for this stuff. Charging you $750 to over $2,000 to edit so-called edit your novel. And you know what they do? They run it through a spell checker a couple of times. All right. Then they run it through one of those grammar, I probably even grammarly programs. All right. Make a couple little mark points here and there just to make it look like they've done something. They sit on it for about a month. Because remember, they have all your money up front, by the way. You're not paying them in installments. You're giving them all that money right there and then. Okay. So I don't know if the month is just to make it look like they're doing something important, because they're not, or maybe just because you know, that's the time they're spending in Starbucks with your money. But that's what's happening. And literally, I know plenty of people that has happened this to on an enormous amount of basis. They all come to me. And guess what? I don't have an AG involved in something like this. I can't even get that. It is so, it is such an obscure, even though it like, claims that such needed, it's such an obscure line of work, there isn't any guidelines on the state level. There is really no organizations out there that even can professionalize and certify somebody who claims they're an editor for hire. They're, they're, none of them exist. They don't. But they'll all tell you these incredible things about them. I have a master's in English. I've written 17 books. Hell, I've, I've, I've edited like 100 books already this year alone. You know, because somehow... It takes them a month to edit a book and 100 books in 12 months. And uh, I don't know, maybe they're spending 18 hours a day on this or something. Hmm. Just for that alone, you ought to be like skeptical. Okay. Now, what I did was this. This is to help you because I don't want to just give you my opinion. I want to give you some real facts. I went to 25 of these editors, these high, the editors for hire on the Facebook. And I said this. All right. Can you give me five references? There's five people that you've done this for. They were so damn happy. Now, I didn't even have any caveats in there. So there's nothing about five people that ultimately got published by a publisher because you. I, I didn't even go that far. I, I don't think it was necessary. In fact, I'm not even sure that would be a fair question. So I want to be fair. I really do. On people who I already suspect are thieves, I still want to be fair. Because I need to be fair on my side of the fence, unlike these people. So I just simply said, give me five references. 25 of them, okay? All right, here we go. All right. 19 of the 25 couldn't or wouldn't provide the references, okay? Two of them gave me two references, all right? One of them came from, like, some boilerplate, like, language that you get off the internet. So that's obviously some fake person. Probably another email they set up to send to me. All right. The other one gave me such praise 
that I don't know. I'm wondering if that person's going to maybe win the Nobel Prize one day because it was so over the top. All right. But let's say for the sake of arguments, because I'm trying to be fair here. All right. That one was great. All right. That's still one references when I asked for five. And that's all they could give me. One that appears to be fake. One that might be real. Hell, they could both be not real for that example. But guess what? Let's just be for sake of argument here. They're both real. You're still only giving me two when I'm asking for five. How the hell is this possible? You just told me you did like a hundred of these books already. What, the other 98 people don't give a crap? And the last, okay, remember I said there was 25. 19 couldn't no buttons. Two gave me two, which was suspect, all right? Three told me, this is my favorite one right here. Three told me, I can't do it because of the privacy. It can't reveal anyway. I'm like, okay, I'll give you ways. And guess what? When they tell, all three told me that, this is what I told them. Here. Here is my personal address where they could write me a letter. Here is my fax number. They could fax me a letter. Here is my telephone number. You can give me a call and spend some time telling me about how great you are. Here is my instant message. Here is my email. I give them like six different ways to contact me. So I don't have to contact them. In fact, if any of you guys ever know, the instant message uh, messenger on Facebook, you can actually use it as a phone way. And you can actually phone somebody and they don't even see your phone number. It's a good way to get a phone call across. It's not the best reception in the world. Okay, but what do you want for free? And it also gives you privacy. They won't know who you are. Okay. Hell, they could have knocked one of their friends over the bar and said, you got to talk to this guy. He's, he's sweating me over here. They didn't even do that. Not any one of those three ever got back to me. No privacy, blah, 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 and that was it. Okay, and then the last, the last one, because remember, we got 25 here. 19 couldn't have wouldn't. Two provided only two. Three told me they wouldn't give me anything because of privacy. And then one told me to go to a very hot place. Okay? Maybe it's just me because I'm creative, but I'm thinking they didn't mean the Sahara Desert. Or where I close, I live close by Miami. I'm thinking they didn't mean those places. I'm thinking they meant someplace else, maybe someplace metaphorical, but someplace very hot. That's literally what the person told me. You know, that professional editor for hire that wanted twelve hundred dollars. Thank you. Now, on top of this, all right, I found fifteen editors for hires that claimed that they wrote at least five books, okay? This is part of, remember, when you're looking at somebody like this, you should be scrutinizing things like this. You should get references. I mean, people, I don't understand it. Writers get references all the time for dentists. Strip bars. I'm not making a joke. I've heard people get references on that. Um, I think they call them gentlemen clubs now. They get that references on that. Golf courses, recipes, uh, doctors. In fact, OBGYN is one of like the most famous references of the world for, for women. I don't even think they look in a phone book or anything. They literally have to ask another woman. It's, I don't know. Maybe it's like in the, the woman's book of how to act as a woman. It, it must be in there because even my wife did that. So it's, it must be something you have to do as a woman. Cool. I got you. I mean, it makes sense to me, though, because if you're comfortable with that person doing all that stuff down there, then, you know, you, you probably should tell somebody else about them that they're cool, nothing weird. I got that. I'm, I'm all right with that. If I had a prostate doctor, I, I would probably go the same way. So uh, I'm not making fun of that, all right? Just like anything else, references are important. I cannot believe how many people come. I don't want to do that, Mark. I, why is that necessary? Well, the person wants $1,500 to, to, uh, to 
so-called edit to seventy-five thousand purge uh, thousand word uh, manuscript. You don't want to like find out who the hell this person is. I mean, uh, what they do, what kind of quality they are. That didn't strike you as weird. So fifteen of these editors all said they had at least five books that they wrote out. Okay, here we go. Here's the breakdown. Eight. I couldn't find the books anywhere. None. Not not five. Not even one. None. Okay. I went back to them. Am I misspelling your name? No, you're not. Uh, did you simply use a different name? Uh, no. But you said you wrote five books. I can't find them. Uh, and I got a, a couple of different answers. Some of them didn't even reply at all. Some of them said, well, you know, Mark, they're out of print. I go, this is the age of the internet. There are plenty of books out of print on Amazon and all over the place. It just says it's out of print and it's still around. It's out of print. You might be able to get a used version of it somewhere. It might be somewhere. Okay? Unless you wrote it like in 1956 or something, which I guarantee none of them are. In fact, the average age of the editor for hire is in their mid-30s. Okay? They're not older people. They're not that young either. Six of them. Okay? They had less books than they claimed. Remember, I said, I want to at least find uh, five books, okay? I had some woman that said she had 17 books. I found two. Where the hell the other 15 at? Oh, I wrote in different names, and I don't like to talk about that. And that's a different time in my life, and I was divorced. And all these stories of excuses. Nothing I could use it, though, okay? If you're not getting straight poop from somebody. You're getting an excuse. And again, if you want to hand money over to people who are giving excuses, you have a right to do so. Not very smart to do so, though. Okay, because you're gonna be you're gonna be robbed. That's that simple. All right, one. This is this is my favorite one of all. Okay, eight couldn't find the books. Six had less than the five that they they had, they had mentioned, or even less than whatever they said. Period. Okay, one said, "Yeah, here's my book." Billy sent me the link. Guess what? It was a book on how to submit manuscripts to a vanity press that it turns out that that person's a partner in. So literally. The editor for hire wrote a book on how you can subscribe to the publishing vanity place that they have. So they'll get money from your old. I mean, it's literally possible to go to that person, give them $1,500 to manuscript, edit this manuscript just so we can go over to her and her partners so they can make more money. Off it. They might make literally thousands off of you, laughing all the way to the bank or wherever they spend this money at. So that's what I got from that. Does that sound like it's honest? It's not. It's not regulated. Okay, a lot of these people they'll give you some phony, fake example of, of what they did on edit. They'll actually show you what they did. That's some stuff they ripped off the internet, or maybe some real editor who they met in college someplace. They cribbed it off of it and made a photocopy of it and did that. It's not real because they're not going to give you any of that. They're going to run it through a screen. Uh, uh, excuse me, they're going to run it through one of those uh, word checkers and spell checkers and, and grammar programs, and that's about it. Do a little phony little stuff and hand it back to you months later. And you're going to pay all that money for something that's not going to go anywhere. Okay? I cannot believe how many people I get emails on. It's, I actually get more emails on this than the vanity presses. And I can't help any of these people. I send a couple of emails to them. They just told me to drop dead. So they're not going to give you money back. You don't even know if that's the real person. You don't even know if that's the, who they are. You don't know anything about them. You know how many people that said they had a master's degree? They literally specify where it was. I couldn't even find that on the internet. Can you send me a copy of you know your diploma? Oh, my scanner doesn't work. Well, I shouldn't have to do that. I just have a master's. 
This is this is the answers that I got. Okay. Remember, they're thinking that I'm I'm on the services. They don't know that I'm I'm doing the survey. God forbid if they found out, they probably they probably wouldn't even answer me at all. This is the junk I got. So again, you're dealing with some of the worst people out there in writing, stealing from you on a consistent basis. Now, I'm not saying, and because I got a lot of people who actually do this legitimately, they email me and get mad all the time. So if you're listening to me now, if you can give anybody else out there some of the stuff I'm talking about, then you should have no problem. Nobody who does this on a regular basis, okay? Editing for hire. All right? Should be able to not be able to give somebody five references. Now, I'm not saying to, to the audience here that you must have a book published in order to be a, an editor for hire. You could still be somebody that knows how to edit words. You could be an English teacher that no longer teaches. You could be somebody that's, uh, that, that's in a master's program because that's literally what one of them told me. You know, I, I might have might have said that, Mark. It's really more like that I'm working towards my master's, not that I actually have the master's. Oh, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that on the $1,800 you want. Because that, that's going to that's gonna push me right over there to give that to you. Uh, no. So, you don't have to have. If they claim something, you should challenge that. All, all the stuff that's being claimed, you should challenge it. Even on the legitimate ones. Because they should be able to back up what they're saying. Then there should be no problem with that. All right? But you don't have to have a, a, an author's credit to be a, an editor or an editor hire. You don't have to. And I'm all right with that. All right? But you do need to have references that we should be able to check. It should not be a problem. And if it is a problem, then there's something wrong with you and what you're doing then. Because there should be no problem at all. It's a lot of money that people are asking for. And I'll tell you something. Even on the more legitimate ones that charge less than $750, and even the ones that can provide all of this, you still have to wonder, where's this money going to? And what are your expectations from that money? You need to talk to that person. I've talked to people already that actually went to people that were legitimate and they were still mad. And I'm like, well, what the hell would you expect? And well, I just thought I'd be able to get an agent now because my book's better. All they can do is give you some suggestions and do some editing on stuff, but they can't bring garbage to life. Okay? All right? All right? They don't have miraculous powers to take the dead and bring it to the living. All right? So that means that they're not going to be able to make a bad writer a good writer. And I'm not saying that anybody who uses these services are a bad writer. I understand why they would be necessary and why people are attracted to this sort of thing. But you can always go out there and get some beta readers and get some beta editors out there for free and, and trade the services. Help the community and have the community help you for free. Get something real. You can do that without having to deal with all this money. But sometimes I found people's expectations were simply wrong. They were false. The person is willing to take the job even though they know you can't write very well because they, they, they don't mind $500. Which, by the way, for a 75,000 uh, page Excuse me, page a seven hundred thousand word manuscript is a fair is a fair price. I'm not promoting it. I don't believe in it, but it's a fair price. It's nothing that you're getting ripped off on. But only they can do so much based on what you're giving them. So you have to also manage your expectations as much as you're trying to manage. Am I dealing with somebody who's real or not? Because there are real editors for hires out there. There are. Just most of them, unfortunately, are thieves, and the rest of them. They'll prove their worth to you. You just have to decide if they're worth what they're doing. If it's what you're asking for, even worth it to help you. 
you might need more than you think. You might have to go back to the drawing board even. So those are things you have to really ask yourself. But that's got, got to be the worst crew I've ever seen of people who are in this. And I counsel people on a regular basis, please go the beta route. Please an ask another writer, a writer that you're a friend with. Maybe they can help you look at parts. I know a girl, and I, I really like this idea, who literally said, I need people to do this for me to have that set of eyes. But I understand that nobody can sit there for free and do 75,000 words. It's a fair thing to say. You're right. She literally divided it up into like five or six different sections and found people she felt she could trust and send it all off. Saying that I'll help you when it's time for you. Put my chip in the, in the, in the, in the big game on that one. Cool. That really worked for her. She said she had a lot of diverse viewpoints. Some of it she really was able to use. She thought that she was able to make some changes to the book that made it better. Guess what? That girl actually landed an agent. I don't know if she ever got the book published or not. I mean, I haven't heard from her in quite some time. And it's not really my job to ask that sort of stuff. People tell me or they don't tell me. I usually don't ask that many things. Usually people are telling me stuff more than anything else. But she told me that. So I believe that that sort of thing definitely helped her. And, and it could definitely help you. But she did that without having to put all this money out. And get get demeaned and, and, and get and get defrauded, you know? Because that's what that is, really. So keep in mind all of that. So, folks, that is it in a nutshell there. The morality of money and the arts. Or maybe the reality of money and the arts. Not all that is cracked up to be. Not all that easy. Not all that even advisable. You have more freedom not having to worry about that. You know, quite frankly. But if that's really your goal, you have a lot of things you have to navigate out there. Because there are plenty of people out there waiting to take advantage of you. Waiting to ask you to do things that you're like, yeah, this sounds feasible, sounds advisable. I know a girl that literally borrowed $2,000 from her father so that some 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 guy can do some some crap job on this, editing stuff. She gets the thing back and she's like, I, I, don't, know, I don't even see any real changes in the stuff he recommended anybody could have done for free. Uh, yeah, that's my point here. And I'll leave you with that, folks. God bless, folks. Until next time, it's the morality of money and the arts. This is Mark Anthony Rossi, your host. Strength to be human. Take care.